long history. The southern United States in the 1500s, part 9. Captured caciques in eastern Tennessee. Hello everyone, how are you? I hope you're well. And welcome to this, which is episode 9 of Long Histories, the Southern United States in the 1500s. We're now well into this document, but for any new listeners, this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southerly states of the United States. That includes Florida and Arkansas and most of the states in between. This expedition was headed by a man called Hernando de Soto, and it began in April 1538. The narrative itself, however, was written in Portuguese by a man known as Gentleman of Elvers. Here at Long History we take such source documents and split them into 10 minute chunks, and in this case it means that we've got 25 parts in total to this series. Eight episodes of this series have already been released, so I'm sure they're just a few clicks away. Don't forget also to subscribe to be notified when the other episodes are released. Okay, so that's the housekeeping out of the way. Now, in the previous episode, we heard some details about Hernando de Soto and how he did not like to be opposed. Unlike some of the other explorers we've covered in Long History, this is a man who very much does have a personality. He passed through the west of North Carolina in the previous episode, eventually heading into today's Tennessee. Along the way, he kidnapped a local leader, forcing her to go with him on his expedition. However, she eventually escaped. Now I've looked on a map and this episode begins in a place called Chiaja, which as far as I know is in the French Broad River Valley of today's Tennessee. Now I don't know Tennessee, so forgive me if I'm making any mistakes there. The local people have fled having learned that they might be enslaved by the Spanish. And De Soto, the leader of this expedition, is constantly on a hunt for better lands. He's never happy with what he finds. And that's how we begin today's episode, with De Soto asking the leader where there are better lands. So here we go with the latest episode from Long History. The Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 9, Captured Caciques in Eastern Tennessee. A cacique of Acoste, who came to see the governor, after tendering his services, and they had exchanged compliments and proffers of friendship, was asked if he had any information of a rich land. He answered yes, that towards the north there was a province called Chisca, and that a forge was there for copper or other metal of that colour, though brighter having a much finer hue, and was to appearances much better, but was not so much used for being softer, which was the statement that had been given in Cutifachiki, where we had seen some chopping knives that were said to have a mixture of gold. As the country on the way was thinly peopled, and it was said there were mountains over which the beasts could not go, the governor would not march directly thither, but judged that, keeping in an inhabited territory, the men and animals would be in better condition, while he could be more exactly informed of what there was, until he should turn to it through the ridges and a region which he could more easily travel. He sent two Christians to the country of Chiska, by Indians who spoke the language, that they might view it, and were told that he would await their return at Chiaja for what they should have to say. Chapter 16 How the Governor Left Chiaja and having run a hazard of falling by the hands of the Indians at Acoste, escaped by his address, what occurred to him on the route, and how he came to Cosa. When the governor had determined to move from Chiaja towards Coste, he sent for the cacique to come before him, and with kind words took his leave, receiving some slaves as a gift, which pleased him. In seven days the journey was concluded. On the second day of July the camp being pitched among the trees two crossbow shot distant from the town, he went with eight men of his guard towards where the cacique was, who received him evidently with great friendship. 
While they were conversing, some infantry went into the town after maize, and not satisfied with what they got, they rummaged and searched the houses, taking what they would. At which conduct, the owners began to rise and arm, some of them, with clubs in their hands, going at five or six men who had given offence, beat them to their satisfaction. The governor, discovering that they were all bent upon some mischief, and himself among them with but few Christians about him, turned to escape from the difficulty by a stratagem much against his nature, clear and reliable as it was, and the more unwillingly as it grieved him that an Indian should presume, either with or without cause, to offer any indignity to a Christian. He seized a stave and took part with the assailants against his own people, which, while it gave confidence, directly he sent a message secretly to the camp that armed men should approach where he was, then, taking the chief by the hand, speaking to him with kind words, drew him with some principal men away from the town, out into an open road in sight of the encampment, where, cautiously, the Christians issued and by degrees surrounded them. In this manner they were conducted within the tents, and when near his marquee, the governor ordered them to be put under guard. He told them that they could not go thence without giving him a guide and Indians for carrying loads, nor, until the sick men had arrived whom he had ordered to come down by the river in canoes from Chiaja, and so, likewise, those he had sent to the province of Chisca. He feared that both the one and the other had been killed by the Indians. In three days, they that went to Chisca got back, and related that they had been taken through a country so scant of maize and with such high mountains that it was impossible the army should march in that direction, and finding the distance was becoming long and that they should be back late, upon consultation they agreed to return, coming from a, a poor little town where there was nothing of value, bringing a cowhide as delicate as a calfskin the people had given them, the hair being like the soft wool on the cross of the merino with the common sheep. The cacique, having furnished the guide and tamemes, by permission of the governor, he went his way. The Christians left Coste the ninth day of July, and slept that night at Tali, the cacique, having come from the town to meet the governor on the road, and made him this speech. Excellent, great prince! Worthy are you of being served and obeyed by all the princes of the world, for by the face can one judge far of the inequalities. Who you are, I knew, and also of your power before your coming here. I wish not to draw attention to the lowliness in which I stand before you, to make my poor services acceptable and agreeable, since, where the strength fails, the will should instead be praised and taken. Hence, I dare to ask that you will only consider and attend to what you will command me to do here in your country. The governor answered, that his good will and offer pleased him as much as though he had tendered him all the treasures of the earth, that he would always be treated by him as a true brother, favoured and esteemed. The cacique ordered provision to be brought for two days' use, the time when the governor should be present, and on his departure gave him the use of two men and four women, who were wanted to carry burdens. They travelled six days, passing by many towns subject to the cacique of Corsa, and, as they entered those territories, Numerous messages came from him on the road every day to the governor, some going, others coming, until they arrived at Corsa on Friday, the 16th of July. The cacique came out to receive him at the distance of two crossbow shots from the town, 
borne in a litter on the shoulders of his principal men, seated on a cushion and covered with a mantle of marten skins of the size and shape of a woman's shawl. On his head he wore a diadem of plumes, and he was surrounded by many attendants playing upon flutes and singing. Coming to where the governor was, he made his obeisance, and followed it by these words. Powerful lord, superior to every other of the earth, although I come but now to meet you, it is a long time since I have received you in my heart. That was done the first day I heard of you, with so great desire to serve, please, and give you contentment, that this, which I express, is nothing in comparison with that which is within me. Of this you may be sure, that to have received the dominion of the world would not have interested me so greatly as the sight of you, nor would I have held it for so great a felicity. Do not look to me to offer you that which is your own, this person, these lands, these vassals. My only desire is to employ myself in commanding these people that, with all diligence and befitting respect, they conduct you hence to the town in festivity of voices and with flutes, where you will be lodged and waited upon by me and them, where all I possess you will do with as your own, and in thus doing you will confer favour. The governor gave him thanks, and with mutual satisfaction they walked on toward the place conferring, the Indians giving up their habitations by order of their cacique, and in which the general and his men took lodging. In the barbacoas was a great quantity of maize and beans. The country, thickly settled in numerous and large towns with fields between extending from one to another, was pleasant and had a rich soil with fair river margins. In the woods were many plums, as well those of Spain as of the country, and wild grapes on vines growing up into the trees near the streams, likewise a kind that grew on low vines elsewhere the berry being large and sweet, but, for want of hoeing and dressing, had large stones. It was the practice to keep watch over the caciques that none should absent themselves, they being taken along by the governor until coming out of their territories, for, by thus having them, the inhabitants would, await their arrival in the towns, give a guide, and men to carry the loads, who before leaving their country would have liberty to return to their homes as sometimes would the Tamemes, as soon as they came to the domain of any chief where others could be got. The people of Corsa, seeing their lord was detained, took it amiss, and, going off, hid themselves in the scrub, as well those of the town of the Cacique as those of the town of the principal men, his vassals. The governor dispatched four captains in as many directions to search for them. Many men and women were taken who were put in chains. Seeing how much harm they received and how little they gained by going off, they came in declaring that they desired to serve in all that was possible. Of the prisoners, some of the chiefs, whom the cacique interceded for, were let go. Of the rest, each one took away with him as slaves those he had in chains, none returning to their country, save some whose fortune it was to escape, labouring diligently to file off their irons at night, or, while on the march, could slip out of the way, observing the carelessness of those who had them in charge, sometimes taking off with them in their chains the burthens and clothing with which they were laden. This episode, written by a Portuguese man, who generally seems to be giving a vaguely positive version of accounts here, nevertheless paints a rather grim portrait of Spanish attitudes and dealings with the local people. De Soto seems to have set up a pattern of capturing the local leader, the cacique, until he leaves an area, 
in this way, hopefully guaranteeing his safe passage through a territory. It's hard to see how any of the local people benefit from their experience with the Spanish. The last paragraph of this passage in particular talks of someone whose fortune it was to escape, quite strikingly talking about fortune and luck in this situation, and perhaps tangentially revealing the horror of it all. In geographical terms, in this episode De Soto has been following the Tennessee River, passing today's Knoxville down towards Chattanooga. By the time they reach the Cacique of Corsa, they may have passed again into northern Georgia, but precise locations are very much disputed at this point, because they are so near to the tri-state border of Tennessee, Georgia and Alabama. Although there is slight ambiguity at that point, in the next episode De Soto enters Alabama itself. And by this point in his travels, we can see that De Soto's reputation is preceding him. By the time he meets a famous leader called Tuscaloosa in Alabama, the people they meet, perhaps having heard what happens when people are friendly towards the Spanish, are very much on their guard. Thank you for listening to this episode and please don't forget to give it a like before you go. We're now well into the southern United States in the 1500s and hearing some of the first words ever written by Europeans about these areas. There's still lots more to come as De Soto continues to insist on finding better and richer lands. Will he ever be satisfied? In the meantime, however, thank you for listening to this episode of the Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 9, Captured Caciques in Eastern Tennessee. Goodbye.